Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast with Jason Toby. I'm Jason Toby, and I want to encourage you today to know more of God's love for you. So today, I want to share with you a scripture that inspired the name of our ministry, Rooted to Live. It's a short transitional text in the Bible, but I think it's beautiful and powerful, and honestly, it changed me. Um, it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Um, we really catch a glimpse of really who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done and then what we do out of who we are. Um, you can almost divide the book into two sections if you'd like. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 about who we be in Christ, who we are in Christ, and 4, 5, and 6, a little bit of the to-doing as a result of being. But right in the middle of that book, we see this transitional text in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, Paul writes, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Hmm. Let me stop there for a second. It seems kind of a strange place to stop. But he writes, for this reason, this phrase, for this reason, we need to ask what reason? What is it there for? And it's really writing the reason he's been, the case he's been making is that there's a mystery. The, the mystery that God motivated by love is bringing together a new family, all people who believe in and belong to Jesus. Paul says he kneels before God. The typical position for this culture was one of standing, but kneeling in prayer in the Bible indicates humility, uh, emotion, and desperation before God. I don't know if you've ever knelt before someone before, but maybe some of you fellas did so when you proposed to your wife. I remember uh, for me, I proposed to my wife in the Allentown, Pennsylvania airport. And, uh, I was a school teacher at the time, and I had a Thanksgiving break, and I wanted to maximize the whole weekend, so I flew from Grand Rapids, Michigan, actually Lansing, Michigan, to Allentown, Pennsylvania. There's some problems with flights, and one was delayed and canceled, and man, did I have a ton of anxiety. And uh, it was just anxiety to try to get to my wife, Amanda. But when I got off the airplane in Allentown at that time, kids, people could actually meet you at the gate. So this is about 100 to 150 years ago. And uh, Amanda was meeting me at the gate. She was coming from work, and I wanted to maximize the whole weekend, so I wanted to propose to her right off the plane and then have the rest of the weekend to enjoy with her family and to celebrate. And so I remember I handed out flowers to people on the plane to call out Amanda's name getting off the plane and for Amanda to receive these flowers, and I'd be the last one to come off the plane with a flower and uh, dressed up and brought some different gifts with me so that we could enjoy uh, a dinner and a time out together. And I remember... Walking up to Amanda and uh, getting on my knees, and I wanted everything to be improvisational with what I was going to say, because I maybe thought that would be more authentic, and I got on my knees and went to propose, and it's like the words, I couldn't even think straight. I felt like I was outside of myself, staring at myself, like this is one of those really big moments in life, and my tongue got all swollen, and words could barely come out, and I believe I proposed, Um, she said yes, so... Uh, that was a time I can remember kneeling on purpose for the express intent of humility. And it was a time of emotion and uh, desiring uh, connection. And Paul, in real emotion and in humble desperation, kneels before God. He's saying, on behalf of these believers in Ephesus, or you could say all believers for all time, probably, knowing they need something that only God can give. So what Paul asks for is actually our great need as well. This is Ephesians chapter 3, the next verse, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is asking God to empower the believers to experience the reality of their new identification found in Jesus. When they have a life exchange with Christ, they, he's asking God to empower people to understand what happened in that exchange, that we take on Christ's life and he takes on our old life, that we get Christ's past, present, and future in exchange for the life we have to offer him. So to put it simply, Paul is asking and showing us that we need God's power in us to know God's love for us. Paul's request is that believers would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner self. So why the inner self? Well, the inner self is where our life flows, our mind, will, and emotions, where the courage comes to proclaim the gospel, where we fight sin, and where love flows uh, for others. Life from the inside out, of course, is a common insight in scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 we read, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Or as Jesus puts it to some religious people, first clean up the inside of the cup and plate that the outside also may be clean. So why would Paul say the inner self needs to be built up or why do we need something built up on the inside? Why do we need this strengthening internally? Because by faith, we believe it is there, the inner self, where Christ dwells and rules by the Holy Spirit. The word dwell here is intentional. It's a word used to mean um, used to, mean to, to settle down or uh, used to mean to uh, be a permanent resident. As God's Spirit takes up residence in us, some would say in your heart, if you will, we begin to be renewed and reflect his character. So the question then is, who or, well, who or what dwells in my heart? Who or what dwells in your heart? Paul asks for the believers to be strengthened with God's power so that Christ may take up residence well within their hearts. But why? Why does he desire that Christ may take up permanent residence? There's constantly a battle of, for affection in my heart. Sometimes it's just my appetites or my desire to be, have uh, my stomach full, so I want to go to my favorite place, or I'm driven by my appetite, or sometimes I'm so desperate... Uh, for love or for care or connection, that I just reach out to, to people. But Paul has something very specific in mind for what he desires would dwell in the believer's heart. It's really found in the next verse, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need power for Christ to dwell in our hearts so that we will know the love of Christ. Verse 17 says that believers are to are rooted and grounded in God's love. So what did and does God do to root, ground, or establish, your translation may say, people in his love? He pursued, he provided, he forgives, redeems, reconciles, saves, secures. Why? Because of his love. And I understand some people find the topic of God's love boring or entry-like level Christianity, believing there are deeper things to look into. Yet Paul is asking God to help these believers know God's love because he knows there's, no, there's, there's nothing deeper. 
In verse 18, he writes of the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love. He's saying God's love is immeasurable and limitless, multidimensional, if you will, and that we would be better for knowing it. Maybe you've heard of God's love expressed this way in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is it true that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from Christ's love and affection for us. Because those who have Christ, for those who have Jesus Christ, Jesus dwells in us wherever we go. God's love is there. The versions of love, of course, we find or offer in our world are often conditional or shrouded in expectation and ultimatums. But God's love perfectly, God, God loves perfectly and purely. And he loves you today. So I can't stress it enough, and it can't be stressed enough to me, especially to anyone who lives in a religious performance culture, the love of God and Christ for you is vast. And many of us, of course, would intellectually and theologically agree, but what about belief in such a way that it renews your mind and how you view you, how you view your life, or how you view other people, how you view the church, this world? When God's power causes us to grow in the knowledge of his love, it moves us from fear and bondage to love and freedom, to courage, to take steps of faith and and understanding that there's nothing to lose. Think about it. How would your life flow or function differently than it does now if you believed God's love for you outshined any perceived risk or possible failure? And I'm I'm starting to wonder as of late, is it possible that God might be more loving than we've believed? In the text, you may not have realized it, but there's actually no command here. In the past, when I've taught this passage, it would be at this point that I would have invited people to consider radical steps of faith because of God's love being greater than any possible failure. And I actually think that was an honest mistake. But Paul isn't asking the Ephesians to try harder to love God or to do more. He's asking God to strengthen their faith so that they would grow in their understanding of Jesus' love toward them. This is why later Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. It means living in his love, a moment-to-moment understanding and re-realizing that he loves you. Like living loved instead of looking for love. Living approved instead of being desperate for approval. Living recognized rather than striving for recognition and being known. And God's love doesn't just change things to the future, but the present and past as well. In the midst of whatever you think is the worst thing you've ever done or has been done unto you, he loves you. If you've been a bad spouse or a lousy parent or an addict, he loves you. If you're self-righteous, fearful, anxious, or depressed, he loves you. So why would Paul ask God to grant strength to comprehend the love of Christ? And I think the answer is because we often believe the lie that God doesn't love us. We believe the lie that he couldn't possibly love us in light of what we've done or what has been done unto unto us or the things that we think, do, and say. If God only knew, of course he does, then he wouldn't love us. This is the lie that we believe and sometimes we perpetuate to other people. 
We function as if we need to appease him or to win his love. We think, how could he love me? In the text, Paul is asking God to help believers grow in seeing, savoring, and experiencing the reality of God's love. And I've often wondered in times of doubt and discouragement, but Paul, that was easier for you. You had an actual visible encounter with God. You heard his voice. You experienced something supernatural in your discipleship and equipping to do what you do. You, you have no doubt of God's presence, power, and love. But how can I know the love of God if I can't see him? If I can't see or hear Jesus, how does this this happen if we can't see Jesus? Actually, Scripture, I think, anticipates this. And one of Christ's followers anticipates this wonder that I have and that I've experienced myself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he writes to people that are, str- that are struggling and persecuted, these new Christians that never had the privilege to see Jesus with their own eyes or have the same experience that Peter had or Paul had. He writes to them to encourage them, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, do, uh, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So it's possible. It's possible to believe that we're loved and then to live loved, to live approved, to live accepted, rather in desperation for it. The love of God for us surpasses knowledge and his experience. The relationship with Jesus is not just a series of non-related mechanical religious actions or simply an agreeing about doctrinal or theological truths. God's love is experienced as the power of the Holy Spirit sheds light on the reality of real life through the lens of Scripture right now. His power allows us to view life's circumstance circumstances in light of God's love as we've come to learn about it in his word. And there's more. Verse 18 tells us something more. It says that we grasp God's love with all the saints, meaning this is a community realization. All the saints means everyone who identifies as a follower of Jesus. So God shapes us and grows us in the knowledge of his love through authentic biblical community as we reflect the gospel together. Having people in our lives to do this with is such a treasure, isn't it? But for many of us, it's, it's one of our greatest challenges. I hope you have people that want this. Friends who want a community realization of God's love through Jesus to us. Because something happens as, as we grow in the strength of understanding God's love for us together. What is it? Well, the scripture tells us the next verse. Verse 19, part B, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that mean? As we grow in the strength of understanding God's love for us, we become filled with the fullness of God, meaning living loved, we gain spiritual maturity. And so why should this matter? Because it's possible to exist years and years in life knowing about Jesus, but not any further in the freedom that is found in the love of Christ. And this can actually happen to a whole church family and actually did with the church in Ephesus. If you continue to read about this church in Revelation chapter 2, we read that eventually the church in Ephesus lost their first love. They lost sight of God's love for them and then their love for one another. They lost sight of everything that this whole Christian life is all about, loving God and loving others as yourself. See, Paul knows that a strengthened with Holy Spirit power people who are growing in comprehension of God's love and lives in that love as a thriving, maturing people, a, a loving church family, a movement that has freedom and the fullness of God. And the thought of this possibility then moves Paul to praise. And so he writes a little song right in the middle of this transitional text, the next two verses, starting in verse 20. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful doxology, a song. And Paul writes in verse 21, to him be glory in the church. And what does that mean? Well, the context tells us, verse 10, through the the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The reason God called the diversified yet unified church into being was to reflect the glory of his unfathomable wisdom to the universe. So your church family is a local expression of this universal church. And our opportunity is to be this song, to be a corporate visible audible doxology to God. The power of God's love in and through his people goes beyond what we can think and imagine. God God can do more than we ever thought to ask him to do. And so what if God said, I can do more in and through your life, your family, your church than you have yet asked or thought? Kind of challenges us to think about what should we, what should we be asking God to do? And I just want to encourage you today, when when God's power meets God's love in the heart of believers, really mountains are moved. But I just want you to know that you're loved. And I want to invite you to live loved. If you're in Christ, you are rooted, grounded, and established in love, and nothing's going to change that. So be encouraged today.